Hello again and welcome to Verum Sports Podcasting. This is Tony Rice alongside our voice of the old Albanians. think there may well be something to at least begin, begin to get enthused about always wise, but I'll say no more for tonight. It's Mr. Brian Quinn. Brian, welcome back to Verum Sports Podcasting. How you been? Good, Tony. It's been a good week and it's great to be here. How are you? Hey, doing good. It's always a pleasure to enjoy your company because you are one of the most astute scholars of the game of rugby union that I happen to know. And on that theme, before we talk Six Nations, Brian, um, we were uh, talking uh, captaincy in sports for a sportscast, which you may well have heard, 6pm on your Saturday evening uh, this coming. Anyway, and one of the uh, listeners suggested a binary debate. I wanted to make it more nuanced. Uh, but they were saying, captaincy, best all time. Richie McCaw versus Martin Johnson. I added to the piece, a man I'm sure you know very well, and I know you do, Willie John McBride. But on that binary, Mr. McCaw versus Martin Johnson, who would you, who would you plump for as your choice captain? I think both men were incredibly driven. McCaw's record is is quite wonderful. Uh, a World Cup winner, a double World Cup winner, uh, Martin Johnson, just the once. Obviously, one leans towards Johnson because we are from these islands. If you're looking at a, at a world man to follow, uh, that would probably be McCaw. It would be very difficult to argue against him. I also, as I mentioned, kind of uh, wanted to take people back in time. And I love that image. I'm sure you can see it before in your mind's eye when I mention Willie John McBride being lifted aloft by fellow Lions. Um, but would there be any other all-time rugby captains that spring to your yeah. mind? I mean, there's so many great. Yes, there certainly would. The man who was given the nickname by his teammates, Nobody. That's what his nickname was. Mr. Mr. Eels, John Eels, because ain't nobody nobody perfect, but for a second row to be a goal kicker as well. Well, goodness me, that guy also lifted aloft the Webb Ellis Trophy. Really, really good shout there. I tell you, I like that an awful lot. Now, John McBride was a hell of a lot forward, but John Eels was the first one who really put athleticism Mm -hmm. into the position for me. He wasn't just a a piece of thuggery, not suggesting that McBride was only that, because he certainly wasn't. But Eels was somebody you could admire as a runner. You could admire Mm -hmm. the things he did around the field, as opposed to the strength stuff as well. Uh, He had it pretty much all for me. And I think modern locks owe a lot to John Eels with their development of the game. Yeah, do you know what? It kind of was uh, an interesting time for second rows, wasn't it, that 90s period? Because almost the same uh, kindred spirit and similar type body shape and style was Ian Jones of New Zealand as well. I think dead right. Uh, An interesting period for second rows. But now it is uh, incumbent upon us to move it forth and talk all things Six Nations. Um, big, big weekend. It would ordinarily be Super Saturday that we're going to build up to, but uh, this last few years has been rather extraordinary, hasn't it? But there we go. But first things first, Brian, let's go back in time, just a a week or so, and uh, Wales remain on pace for the Grand Slam. Another (laughs) smashing victory for them over the Italians. 
I don't think we've got anything further to say vis a vis Italian rugby, but just give me your uh, insights into the Welsh performance. Grand Slam dreams remain alive. They're, they're more than alive. They, they've had a, an incredible season uh, compared to what it might have been to compare to what it looked like a, a mere six weeks ago. Wales have been workmanlike throughout. Uh, and I, I stress only workmanlike because mm-hmm. brilliance has been it, but they are a team in transition. We hear that term so often these days. Indeed. It's certainly true of Wales. It's in, it, for me, it's intriguing to see that two of their players, just two of their players, make up more than 250 international caps. I think that's an astonishing record. And it's got to be a, a real part of the spine of Wales, having George North and, of course, uh, the great Alan Wynne, uh, he's Jones, another one who's not, not exactly a bad second row, is it? And a pretty good leader of men too, but there we go. Yeah, it's also a part of the game that having athleticism and strength and fitness as opposed to just the thuggery means that uh, a lock, if he's good enough, can extend his career over, in Alan Wynn's case, 15 years. It used to be that you'd have mm-hmm. three or four years and then you were beaten up and that was the end of it. Well, we'll talk more about that great um, second row and a great leader of men very soon. Um, but again, Italy were shellacked, losing in home 48-7 to against Wales. You remain on pace for that Grand Slam. But now let's go to um, another game of, from last weekend. In England, we were looking for more precision. We were looking for more cohesiveness. We were looking for better discipline. We got all the above, Brian. What a result. 23-20. They were inspired in a victory over the French. What were your initial impressions from that performance? Well, well, firstly, I think as an overview, you should be inspired when you pulled a blooming shirt on. True that. Uh, I I know it would happen for me, and I'm sure it would happen for you as well. With regard to England's performance, uh, it it was far better. The, The match itself was uh, a paragon compared to what's gone on this season. There have been exciting games. This, for me, and I, I'm not saying it because we, we live in England, was the best contest of, of this so far. Um, you got uh, a greater degree of precision, yeah. but you also got a, far, a greater degree of fire. Indeed. There was fire in the belly from, across the board from, from England. Uh, delighted for Max Malins with uh, yes. the way he did what he did. Very, very pleased with that. Uh, and delighted with the pack of forwards who stuck to it. Maru Itoji um, this time is noted, his performance is noted, not for penalties given away, but for tries scored, however the length of the grass. <laughs> oh, look, for uh, me... It for for me, it was blatant, but uh, nevertheless, a try is a try, and it's academic now. It's in the books, and it certainly was that. We'll talk about okay. it in just a second. Uh, but you mentioned there the energy, the commitment, and I appreciate, as you observed, that really that had ought to be a given once you reach international level at whatever sport. But I just loved the image of Johnny May's face etched in sheer drive and will, as you can see him striving every fibre of his being to chase hound after a kick. Again, it's churlish to uh, cement a game into a microcosm or a mere image, but I've got to tell you, that little photograph, I thought, spoke volumes. Yes, it did. 
It did. Uh, there, there's emotion in this game, probably better than, than any other. But there again, I'm probably biased in that respect. And that showed up very clearly in that snap. Yeah, absolutely. But England were snappy and they were uh, very massively improved. I think, for my money, that's the finest English display since that wonderful victory over New Zealand in the World Cup semi-final. Uh, but there's that famous one, isn't there, Brian, about one swallow maketh not the summer. So we shall reserve judgment. However, one thing that I think it's clear that anybody with a good judgment of rugby or even an alien <laughs> new to the game would be massively impressed by Watson on his 50th appearance for England. Um, again, we're talking Lions all year long, building up to it. That guy was a Lion last time out and put himself right back in that Lions market, didn't he? Yes, he did. A class act, as he's been for years. But intriguingly, always looking to improve. Always looking to see how he can get a little more out of himself <laughs> for the betterment of his team and the game in general. And I think he's doing a fantastic job. And congratulations to him all the way around on 50 caps. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there's plenty more where they have come from. Uh, England get the win, an important win, and more importantly, a fantastic performance. Not perfect, but does that ever occur in anything? Moving, though, to the French. Um, two classy tries. The world knows and raves about Dupont, don't they? Um, but also, again, Pernod, a lovely, lovely score. They have got so much class, haven't they? And I think whilst they lost, again, it's important to frame the match. They had no matches at all for four weeks due to a barrage of COVID uh, playing havoc with their team. And again, to give it some historical precedent, the last Six Nations uh, trip to the Fortress Twickenham for the French... They were guillotined, if you would, losing by some 30-point uh, margin. So, in context, once again, albeit a defeat for France, tell you something, I still remain upbeat, and they remain my tip for the 2023 World Cups. What's your thoughts on that little uh, appraisal there, Mr Quinn? A couple of thoughts on the game last Saturday. To score within 80 seconds is what is every, every team's dream, and it should be the absolute aim of everybody is to start explosively. Uh, Dupont, uh, no better man to lead that. Arguably the best rugby player in the world at the moment. Uh, mm -hmm. I couldn't argue again. But the thing that stood out for me with the, the wonderful ability that France have, uh, the, certainly the French team that turned up, which was all of the best, was to score a try directly from tight play, from a yes. line-out, to bamboozle one of the best defences in the world and to score untouched in the corner with five metres to spare uh -huh. is absolutely priceless. A wonderful, wonderful score. Uh, and lovely to see. Worth the entrance money all on its own. Do you know what? Spoken like a true lifetime member of the front row union there. And again, for my money, that was vintage. Um, but vintage performance for, by England maybe is a little bit too early to judge it thus. But a great one in the sense that, Brian, we've been begging for, screaming for, demanding more uh, kind of fight. And they were trading, weren't they, at the half? 17 points to 13. So well, you get the sense, don't you, that um, some stern words, some reminders that, hang on, guys, we're in this game. England then 
well, they did the business, didn't they? That's critical for me to have the character to win in a challenging game like this. I think England will gain an awful lot, but they mustn't get too far ahead of themselves. I think so, but history will teach them all they need to know because this side is a good side. It, it, it is yet in the mix as to whether it'll be a great side. They cannot say, as the team of 2003 said, that um, we will play our game. It's up to the rest of the world to deal with it as they see fit. Mm-hmm. But we know what we're going to do, whether it's attack, defense, etc. And they, they were utterly confident in that. And they went on to lift the World Cup. Uh, after the foot was taken from the gas, normally by, or primarily by the rugby union after that, then things started to slide. And we haven't seen the, the same composure mm-hmm. that we saw from that side. This one has all the hallmarks because you can look at certain players and think, well, player for player, this side is better, arguably, than the mob of 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it remains to be proved that they have the consistency. Uh, it'll be wonderful for rugby and certainly tremendous for England if they do have. But it's still in the mix. It's still there to be proved. Absolutely. But uh, you could only make incremental progress. And there was certainly, certainly a lot of causes for optimism. And what to bring in one of the men who led the way. I was calling for him to be made captain. But you don't necessarily need to be the captain nominally. You sometimes just have to be a leader of men. That uh, 2003 Rugby World Cup winning England team were awash with similar characters. And of course, building towards Otoji. You've already mentioned getting over the whitewash for me, quite clearly. Uh, but overall improved performance. Um, he is a great, I think, already, Brian. We've been a little bit uh, aware of his misdemeanours. But just give us the Brian Quinn precision perspective on Atoji's performance last weekend. Well, when you play the game of the speed and the strength uh, which at which Maru Atoji does, then... If you make an accident, if you make a mistake, then things happen very quickly and you are penalised very quickly for that, as he has been. The the great thing is with with his way of playing the game, which is utterly fair uh, and utterly fearless, uh, he makes friends around the world as opposed to enemies. There are certain lock forwards in history who cannot say that. (laughs) And in that situation, if they had a Toji speed, they would have been penalised out of the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Toji gave away five penalties uh, not too long ago and was not yellow carded. Um, Maybe he should have been. This performance by him was utterly different to what had gone before because he had all the speed and all the aggression, but with a little bit more spots. It was degree-level rugby. And he was he was right in there amongst the greats of the world. Uh, and he can get better. He keeps saying it himself. And his coaches keep saying that he trains to be better. He yep. wants to be better. Um, so we can all smack our lips and think, what's coming next? But Atoji, absolutely wow. Paradoxically for me, that's a wonderfully terrifying thought. Uh, but there we go. Uh, moving on to the final game from last weekend. And, uh, you know, I'm a remiss, Brian, I've got to tell you, by the way, a belated happy <laughs> Paddy's Day to you, buddy. Ah, thank you very much, dear boy. Glad to hear it. <laughs> we have Paddy's Maiden Cabbage and Guinness. 
Absolutely. But to tell you what, the reason I feel that that was more than pertinent was because Ireland got a big result against Scotland, um, 27 to 24. They were victorious with that Ireland um, star of many a moon. Sexton scoring a late in the day penalty to seal the deal. For me, I love this game of rugby, Brian, because it had shades of sort of a little bit old school rugby to it. It felt like a real, uh, I don't know, I don't want to use the word contest and imply that modern day rugby isn't. But can you see where I'm driving at? Does that kind of make sense to you? Yes. Uh, again, it was a workmanlike performance from, from Ireland. They took on everything that Scotland had to throw, which was considerable. They have two of the, the best, <coughs> certainly three-quarter exponents in the world in their ranks right now. Uh, Ireland faced them uh, and dealt with it. Uh, their pack was strong when it needed to be strong. And the, the result was certainly endowed up until the last moment. Uh, in a hugely exciting game, uh, Ireland came with that, that last penalty to just step over the line victors. And they will have been pleased with that. The, the sad look on Stuart Hogg's face at mm-hmm. the end of it told an absolute, absolute chapter and verse for Scotland. Uh, it would have been a sad day for him, but uh, Scotland will learn from that. A titanic tussle indeed and the sixth straight win for your Ireland against Scotland. Uh, Brian, in much the same way earlier you observed that you had ought to just be passionate about playing for your nation and representing everything that that entails. Uh, I must say... I would be rather disappointed if one of the greats of the game, certainly a, uh, a Lion star, I'm sure, Mr. Hogg, would be anything other than distraught with a narrow loss. So, again, for me, that is how it m- had ought to be. Now, you say they'll learn, Brian, and I'm going to doff a cap to you once again for your awesome punditry efforts of throughout this Six Nations campaign, because you called it. But uh, i got to say, uh, again, they will learn. No questions asked. But it, here's the question. Is this another game that Scotland have contrived to lose when victory, or at least a draw, was well there for the taking? Yeah, uh, Scotland had the opportunity to be further in front. They didn't take it. So <laughs> that's what happens when you don't take chances. And, and you and I have had this conversation throughout this tournament. Uh, it's another game where the losers will be desperately sad that they didn't do the things that they, they get paid for. Um, such is the way. You have to think, well, how much pressure did Ireland put on Scotland? The answer is considerable. And it was enough for that final penalty. So there you go. Yeah, absolutely. I have this tautology, uh, Mr. Quinn. I utter it all the while. And being a tautology, it's also self-evident. But it goes along these lines. Winners win. They find the way. And it's a great habit to be in. We'll find out if Ireland can keep that winning habit as they host England this coming weekend. It's an exciting one. But first of all, let's go back to the Scots. Obviously, distraught Hogg Etel will be eager to get back on the uh, wagon and get back to winning ways. And whilst Buster Douglas will remind sports fans that there ain't no sure thing in sports, surely. Scotland versus Italy, Scots get back to winning ways here, Mr Quinn. Uh, They will, and in spades, I would suggest. Uh, Italy have plainly learned nothing. Uh, 
Scotland, we've just said, will have some bitter lessons to have learned from the losses this season. And I believe they will take it out on Italy tomorrow. So you can expect another 40 points plus defeat. Yeah, I would be shocked if anything other than that proved to be the case. And the only case I can make for that is the Buster Douglas one, which I've already expressed. And they are few and far between. But the next one, we've already teased it. Ireland's host England on the week that was Paddy's Day. Such a shame there can't be uh, 50,000 ish at the Aviva cheering on Ireland for this fixture. England, as we've mentioned, roared back to form last week. For my money, and of course we'll build up to the final uh, game of the weekend, but for my money, this is the most compelling fixture this weekend, uh, where two sides really, uh, I suggest, need a win for different reasons. Brian, you've been on such divine punditry form. Give the listeners your erudition and your prediction for this crunch clash over at the Aviva. Well, it's a perfect opportunity for yet another Celtic storm. And we've used that phrase for for years now, and quite often it's been pretty accurate. Ireland will attempt exactly that. Uh, Frankly, I believe they'll come up slightly short. Uh, There's a couple of technical reasons for that. There are various elements of each side which cancel each other out. Uh, The back three in both cases being unanimously good in the air yep. and with a tremendous amount of speed. Keith Earls, for instance, had a wonderful game last weekend. And what a servant uh, so Mr Earls has been. Yes, yes. Uh, but you've already mentioned Watson, uh, who was absolutely superb, May, etc. Now, if you take the, the two fullbacks, I think to a large extent they'll cancel each other out because their, their traits in attack and defence are very, very similar. But there's slightly towards the scrum, there's something else has happened. Ireland have lost a centre mm-hmm. and England have gained one because Elliot Daly has been moved from the outside inside one. Now, if you consider what he's got, he's a superb ball handler. Mm-hmm. He's got explosive pace. He will get the ball quicker. He, don't ha- he won't have to wait for a kick coming down from on high. He can just move on to a pass from mm-hmm. Farrell or move on to a pass from whoever it is, maybe a back row forward. And he is a complete nuisance in broken play. And he'll be close to the broken play now. And I think that's going to be a real danger for Ireland. Uh, and they've lost one of their wonderful centre partnership uh, to injury this week. Mm-hmm. And that, I believe, will affect matters. Back in the scrum, uh, you've got O'Mahony coming back for Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's learned his lesson after a, a ridiculous mistake in the first match. Um, England's back row are settled. They're not the absolute complete deal yet, but they are learning. Uh, Billy has come back to something like the form that you can expect of him. Quickly, uh, I still, quickly just quickly on the England back row, I still want to bang the drum for Sam Simmons. Still want to bang that drum. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, there, we will see how things go, but uh, this is the last crack for England in, in the Six Nations. Uh, I believe they will have just a little bit more than Ireland will have. Um, they will go in with the knowledge that they've beaten France, who were arguably the European favourites to, to do everything great in, in this current championship. Um, so Ireland have it all to do. England will have a slightly easier ride, but one mistake 
as Sexton proved, is all it takes for you to come second. And you know what they say about, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. I, uh, so, love, I, I love that old chestnut. I love that old chestnut. It's almost the inverse, but the same thing as my old uh, winner's win malarkey. But there we go. Uh, it's going to yep. be a real uh, juicy encounter. Um, you mentioned uh, Elliot Daly there. And do you know what, Brian? I thought he played with a very positive chip on his shoulder, if that makes sense, at the weekend when he came back off the bench. Uh, best his, uh, glimpses of his true form for a long time for my money. Um, but just want to get your thoughts briefly on a uh, surprise announcement this week for the Irish, uh, 51 times capped uh, CJ Stander, a real behemoth in the Ireland back row, uh, also one cap for the British Lions, announces that this will be his final season and this, this is, I think, his final game at the international level. Great well, it, it'll, it'll be yet another banana skin for England. CJ Stander and Ma Mahoney playing together. Uh, that has got all, all the reasons for ruining your entire afternoon, whoever you are. If you're not wearing a green shirt, then <laughs> these people will demand to know why. Uh, CJ Stander, again, as you said, a, a, wonderful, a wonderful emissary for the, the game of rugby and for Ireland, uh, and a tremendous back row forward. I wish him well. Uh, I don't think he's going to be on the winning side tomorrow, but uh, I can assure you he won't be that far off. So, you know, Brian, I'm, I simply am going to plump for you and with you for an England victory uh, at this one. Um, I think England's performance uh, was strong, as we discussed, and I think they're going to look to build upon that. But Ireland are good, and I think they will continue to grow and develop. So let's build up to the uh, last game of what would ordinarily be the last fixture of a Six Nations. But of course, uh, there is still that to-be-replayed fixture between the Scots and France. But this one features France hosting Wales. Wales bidding for a Grand Slam. And we've mentioned already tonight the great Alan Wynne-Jones. We've heaped praise on him all oh, so many times. The world rugby's most capped player all time. But this is another Alan Wynne-Jones uh, bit of history. He could claim, should Wales win and thus get that Grand Slam, he'll become the first Welshman all time, Brian. And you can remember vividly all those 70s greats and, of course, even earlier. Uh, but the first Welshman would Alan Wynne-Jones be to claim four Grand Slams? It's not another bad little fillet on a rather juicy uh, feast that rugby has served up for Alan Wynne-Jones. What a thing to put on your CV. What a thing to put on your CV. It's, uh, I can't say enough uh, in praise of Alan Wynne-Jones. It, it, it's an astonishing feat uh, of sport uh, that he's done. If, if he was a military man, he'd be a field marshal. Absolutely. Um, it's yet to see if the Welsh Rugby Union will actually promote him to anything further once he finally does <laughs> hang up the roof. You know, will they say you can't coach, you're too old for that sort of thing? So, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, he, he's, he has it all to do tomorrow, of course, to actually gain that fourth Grand Slam. Uh, no better man in attempting it, but uh, if you want a prediction now, I don't think Wales can do it. And I don't think it for, a very, for a, a various reasons. France will hurt desperately after the game yep. last week 
against England. Uh, it's a match that they, they could have won. Uh, they showed in so many different ways uh, the superiority of their back play. Mm-hmm. Um, Wales have a very strong spine to, this, to the team. They've got a, a good front row. They've got Alan Wynn. They've got a, a back row, which is sparkling at the moment. Uh, they've got George North, who, who's undergoing a transformation for me, obviously, in the centre. A renaissance. Uh, and a renaissance, I'd call it. Yes. Risorgimento. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> and you, you, you have Lewis Rees-Zamet uh, there on, on one wing. And uh, again, he's got the opportunity to upturn virtually any apple cart. Absolutely. Uh, I think with the combination of factors of who has done what and to whom so far, I think France, again, with the home advantage, not that it's a crowd advantage, uh, I think they have it to overturn Wales and to disappoint a nation uh, and indeed Welshmen across the world. Uh, I can see France winning. I have more difficulty seeing Wales doing the same. Brian, you've been on such good form predictions-wise. You really have been uh, throughout this campaign. And generally speaking, uh, you're rather good in that regard. So it seems almost churlish to back against your prediction there. But I'm going to do just that, just because, um, you know, I think it's always good to have different perspectives. And, you know, that you know, it couldn't be agreeable all the time. My word. Anyway, I'm going to back the Welsh. And I'll tell you for why. And I'm going to put this down to something a little bit ethereal. Um, another legend of the game of rugby union, by whichever way you want to deconstruct it, but uh, an Irish icon, of course, Brian O'Driscoll, um, referred to uh, the Welsh this season as having that unquantifiable quality, uh, the ineffable quality, whereby we spoke about Scotland conjuring defeats from possible wins well the Welsh have had that other more positive achievement this year now you can't bank on that quality but certainly when it's in your favour you've got a tendency to ride it and I know that that's Alan Wynne-Jones will be whirling away into the minds and souls of his men and convincing them that this indeed is their time so for those reasons slightly abstract I'm backing the Welsh in this one to claim what will be, I think, their fifth Grand Slam in uh, seven years. So, the heart, the heart over the head, hey, Tony? In so many words, Mr Quinn, in so many words, absolutely. As I say, it would be dull if we just agreed upon every matter. Absolutely. Certainly when there's Guinness at stake. <laughs> I don't recall a Guinness being on the line for this one, my good man. I don't recall. I tell you what, my word. Those may recall, though, that in our uh, domestic uh, chats, when we chat domestic rugby, um, I have been absolutely shellacked, but have always proven to be a man of my word, Mr Quinn. And I'm sure that uh, I look forward to more of the same as things revert back to, quote-unquote, normal in the very near future hey what is beyond normal into a different stratosphere uh it's just simply sublime to enjoy your company brian what is for sure fans of rugby fans of sports you're in for an exceptional uh super weekend of rugby ahead pleasure as always brian i really value your time and company thank you Tony. as always a pleasure to be here you have a wonderful weekend sir